Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is episode 280 of the podcast, so close to 300. This is uh, an interview Ange and I did with director Adam Sekuler from Tomorrow Never Knows. Uh, his film debuted at SF Doc Fest this past weekend, and he was just a joy to speak with. And um, I can't say, it's not that we really enjoyed the topic of the film, but we... It made us really think because it's about an Alzheimer's patient going through her last, I would say, couple of weeks, 15 days of life, and he was there to capture that. So um, we really appreciated his film, and we're really trying to get Adam on that reimagine tip, so we're really rooting for Adam. And um, check out our interview. He's great. And we talk a lot about New Orleans, you guys. That's the last half of the interview because we love it so much. He lives there. So check out our interview with Adam Cooler of Tomorrow Never Knows. Adam Cooler, welcome to Bitch Talk. Thank you. Thank you for being here on this beautiful day in San Francisco. Um, I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to thank you for documenting death um, in the most real way I've ever seen. Uh, I had the same experience, not with Alzheimer's, but with cancer with my father. And the last few months of his life mirrored what Shara went through completely. The close-up of the sponge in his mouth and wetting his mouth. I mean, been there, done that, seen that. Yeah. So thank you because people don't really see this. They just know that people uh, go through death and dying and then they're dead. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but let's talk about your film, Tomorrow Never Knows. And um, I guess my first question is um, about the sound. Yeah. In the film, mm-hmm. and um, and how sound played a role in death. Can you can you speak to that? Sure. Um, yeah. Really early on, uh, I was made aware through some friends who had experiences like yours mm-hmm. um, of this kind of visceral experience of breathing, especially at the end of life. And so, I decided that breath um, was going to be kind of a um, you know, a character in the film, mm-hmm. and and it really uh, became this way of charting um, this process of dying through through sound, and um, yeah. So, you know, you in in so many ways, that's that's how you experience um, the death of uh, of Char in this in this project. Yeah. Yeah, and, and along those same lines, there's no music, there's no score per se, sure. other than the natural sounds, except for Tomorrow Never Knows, which Char sings, and I, I wanted to to know about that moment. Was was he always singing that song, or did you just happen to be there that day? And because it's obviously the title of the film, and it's it's so fitting just from what was happening to him in that moment and his outlook on life. Sure. Um, well, interestingly, and this is not in the film, but Char made a playlist to die to. And um, we found, I found that list the very first day I, I met with Char. So I, I started without filming actually um, and met with Char and Cynthia um, a few times before I brought the camera into their home. And um, the that list I saw on a, dresser the very first day and I asked Char about uh, I was like oh this is really um, unusual yeah Um, (laughs) can you tell me about this playlist and when we were talking I asked him what was the very last song he wanted to die to and uh, Tomorrow Never Knows was 
that song. So I knew oh <laughs> from that <laughs> moment on that this was the title of, of this work. And, and did he sing it often or was just that one moment that you captured? Uh, well, I asked Char to sing it okay. almost every time um, I was there. So mm-hmm. we would often end a, a session of me being with the Char and Cynthia by Char singing Tomorrow Never Knows. So you're hearing two different versions of that, um, mm-hmm. but there are probably almost 50. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and... and can you talk about how did you meet Shar and Cynthia? How did how did they come into your life? Sure. So um, Shar and, C- and Cynthia had a Buddhist chaplain, uh, Darcy Myers, who became the producer of the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, Darcy saw a short film that I made called Open Air about the only open air cremation ceremony in the United States that's legal and public. Mm. And Sh- Shar had expressed to Darcy that Char wanted um, a potentially a film to be made about this process. Char was an activist for many years and um, saw this end of life process as a an extension of um, her activism. And so the um, you know my uh, Darcy came to me and said maybe you want to meet with them. And then we talked. Um, for a few days, um, meeting with, you know, going to their home and spending some time with them, making sure that I was the right fit for them and they were um, the right fit, I think, for uh, my process, which is really about intimacy and, and um, stripping down the the um, the kind of industry, I guess, of, of film, bringing that away and making it about a camera and me being in the room with, with people and it, it was very clear from the very first moment I met them that it was going to work. And so. were you were you looking for a project or? Yeah, I was okay. actually. I mean, this film, um, you know, is actually was my thesis project for my master's degree. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, not not a bad subject. No, not at all. Yeah. I had already been exploring death um, with that other right. short film, mm-hmm. and I made a, there's a third film, so there's kind of this trilogy of work oh. around it. I made a the the other short is about a friend of mine who um, developed cancer and died, and I experienced all of this through their posts on Facebook, and so it's really mm. about this kind of social media yes. experience of death, which is I think at this point like most people who are on social media have had these very um uncomfortable experiences of witnessing death through the written word um in real time you know and uh so yeah that these are the <laughs> these are my three projects on death and um tomorrow never knows is the kind of culmination of that time in grad school um looking at this subject i'd lost some friends and some family members just before going to school and I thought yeah I I want to explore this and I didn't even know um, quite how deep I'd end up going with it but mm-hmm. yeah and and uh, to speak further on on your process and how you filmed it and, and you say you wanted to strip strip down I do love how it's often long shots. It's not zoom in, uh, you know, quick cuts. It's you're basically like a fly on the wall, and y- and you feel like you're you're really there with them, watching this process that's happening slowly. So it's it's really powerful the way you shot it. And, and I'm curious to know if you had any thoughts on the right to die movement prior to this film and after the film, if any of that has changed. 
Yeah, so I came into the project already supporting Choice and Dying, and, um, you know, the film really just reinforced, the film in my experience obviously just reinforced that belief. Um, and I think I'm probably further than where the laws are at this point because Char had to do this, um, and I don't know that, I don't remember if we talked about this, but Char's process of dying was um, what's called VSED, vo Voluntary Stop Eating and Drinking, and that is the only legal option available to anyone with Alzheimer's mm -hmm. um, because, uh, one, Alzheimer's is not considered a terminal disease, and two, um, because the medical profession says that people with Alzheimer's can't, they, they don't have the capacity to make certain decisions on their own. So even Char's process of voluntary stop eating and drinking had to be decided at an early enough point in losing um, her memory that this is the, um, where we found ourselves, um, you know, that, that Char was able to do this. They had to write this, um, the advanced directives and, and let, everyone know that this was um char's desire mm. did you become attached to the couple yeah absolutely i mean cynthia and i still are very close she'll be here this weekend oh really yeah is she doing okay yeah she's doing okay i mean you know it's it's a hard process of course and this is the second partner that cynthia lost right, so yeah. Wow. How does she stay so strong throughout this whole process? Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, Cynthia is one of the most inspiring people I've ever met in my life and um that I probably will ever meet. Um and so, yeah, I I really admire her and um her courage. She's doing fine, you know, she she she's selling this home of of uh that that she lived in with Char. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. My mom had to do the same thing after my dad passed away. Not too was, long after. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was her home, actually, and Char moved in with her. Oh. Yeah. So, but I think, yeah, they that that place is too big for her anyway, and mm -hmm. she subdivided it after Char passed. So the mm. front half of the house, which we are mostly ex experienced in the film, mm -hmm. um, Almost within two months of Char's passing, she was no longer living there. Interesting. Yeah. Um, sort of spoke to this, but if you want to be a little more specific, feel free. But why was this story important for you to document and share? Yeah, well, um, again, you know, I had lost some people. So I think that, that there's some aspect of wanting to confront death in this very... Um, true way you know like of of really looking it in looking death in the face and experiencing it and examining it that was important to me um but after uh and in the process of making this film um for me the film became much more about uh, a love story between two people and and being inspired by you know i i find the, even though there's a sadness in, in this film, there's also something so beautiful and inspiring about the relationship that these two people have. Mm -hmm. um, so it really became, in some ways, li a life-affirming process, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Um, when um, 
it came down to filming them. How often were you there? Did you plan? You know, you wanted to get little snippets of their everyday lives, but you don't really know when Shar's going to pass. And like, how often were you there? And and this is in Colorado that it's being shot, but you don't yeah. live in Colorado, right? Well, I was living there. I went to grad school. In oh, you Colorado. were there at the time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So now I live in New Orleans, but um, yeah, I mean, I I filmed with them for a year, so I went once a week for about 52 weeks and the once Char started this process of not eating and drinking I was there every day mm. and that took 15 days so and you so you I actually read that you shot for about a year but you really wanted the film to just focus mainly on those last two weeks how did how do you make that decision yeah there's a there's an article out there that suggests that and I think the person who wrote that didn't quite understand what I was saying to them which oh. was which was that the film kind of is structured around th that period um, but you experience the very first day of filming and you experience the very last day of filming so you know there's there's material in the film from all 52 weeks um, it became really about looking at these kind of thematic um aspects of of the experience of dying and figuring out how to structure the work um and where to place them so it has this kind of non-linear um aspect to it also because i keep returning to char's death throughout the film um and i do that in order to diffuse in a way the extreme emotional experience that that you might have um a lot of people in in an earlier cut of the film we're like really unable to continue watching hmm. and um so i thought okay well there's there's this way that the re that this death is present for them throughout this whole process and it's important to keep it present for us throughout this whole process as well so, so you mean uh, in an earlier cut, it wasn't as non-linear. Yeah, totally. And that made the ending too. It made it. It made the build up too much. Everybody so. was like sobbing. And yeah. <laughs> well, and that's yeah. I w that was going to be one of my questions for you. Is how did you decide to edit it non-linear? And I mean, it just opens and Char is has passed. Yeah. And you're just immediately there, and yeah. it's 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 it, it hits you. Yeah. It hits you right, yeah, and it that whole opening scene hits you right away. But then when you see him alive, it brings him back to life, and yeah, so it takes you on this kind of roller coaster journey. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, some of that also is about this experience of memory, um, and the and where the way in which Alzheimer's, um, in my experience of of you know, I have some family members who who had that disease, and when I would visit with them, it felt like they were going coming you know moving forward and moving back at the same time mm. and so i thought like okay thematically in relationship to this disease this structure is working as well um but again uh, i also felt that it was really important i guess to kind of diffuse this experience of death in a way that wasn't as because it it isn't for either of these two people it's such a it's not it even though it's emotional it's not um extreme you know there's right. no it they are so composed throughout it that if you're if the audience is coming out sobbing it's actually they're not having the experience that that these two people had and that was also important to me to to kind of put you into their experience of, of it, death yeah it was just happening yeah
and you're following that. Yeah. And it's not emotional. It's just, it's, it's real. Yeah. Um, I already forgot my question. Because <laughs> I was thinking about, <laughs> hold on, I'm, it's going to come back. Well, you can think no, I know. I know what I was going to ask, okay. and then you can ask your question. <laughs> this is bitch talk. Uh, <laughs> well, give me the mic. Give me the mic. Yeah, welcome. Um, <laughs> did Char ever forget who you were towards the end? Was that an issue, or that was... No. She was consistent with... Char was consistent, okay. and, um, you know, the that hike that's in the film was that's on day... Yeah, the high. Uh. A little shaky, also. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's day nine of not eating and drinking. We went on that hike, so, um, and as you see in that scene, you know, Shar's addressing me and right. concerned for me. You know, it's, um, yeah. There's a real. Um, we we never lost the connection in the process of Alzheimer's, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I think along that lines, there's there's real beauty in that that Char chose uh, instead of the passive living, wi- which is the disease taking over, sh- he chose to actively live on on his terms. And and um, I don't know. A lot of people say, you know, oh, are you afraid of death? And I always say, no, I'm afraid of not living. Yeah. You know, like the I think we kind of have it twisted in our minds, and and this film kind of shows that there's beauty there's beauty in that in in his choice in their choice together as as a couple absolutely and i mean after so day nine we go on this hike day 10 we tried to go on another hike and it charges couldn't do it at that point and i think the the point at which it became clear that char could not continue to live actually is the point at which um she surrendered to this to this process I mean it, I think Char wanted also I mean this idea of conscious death was really um, very important to her and the in a way like the idea of a real vibrant ending you know a real lively way of going was something that Char wanted and mm-hmm. this process was definitely lively you know the process of dying was very peaceful mm-hmm are you looking at death and dying in a whole new light now with this and with your other project also with all of your projects really, but yeah. this one in particular, because it's so specific to dying and getting to do it the way you want to. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, um, I definitely feel as though I have a different relationship to death than I did before going into this film, even more so than the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have a, a different relationship to life. Hmm. And mm-hmm. um, that, this, the, you know, like really feeling um, every moment, every moment's a little bit more um, vibrant for me right now. Mm-hmm. Like sailing on the bay and yes. maybe dying, <laughs> but who knows? Because yeah. it's just, it's fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're in the bay area. And I'm usually not a thrill seeker, but. <laughs> <laughs> you were living on the edge yesterday. Yeah. Um, Okay, can we switch gears quickly? Yeah, sure. Can you talk about New Orleans and living there? Because <laughs> Angie and I love New Orleans. Yeah. We actually recorded um, a podcast down there about, oh, now two years ago. It's depressing. Yeah, but you got to come back. Oh, we'll hang out. Talk to us, <laughs> but just talk to us about the day-to-day. Because, you know, you go there for a few days and it's a lot of fun. and Sure. It's amazing. And I think about New Orleans every day, but... 
talk about living there. Yeah. Should I do it? Should we commit? Yeah, on the topic of living, right? Yeah. Living to the fullest and taking yeah. a risk every now and then. Oh, I mean, that's New Orleans, right? So, <laughs> yeah, in a nutshell, it's it's the most alive city I've ever been in. And, um, yeah, I'm so happy there. I've been there only a year now. But it's, uh, yeah, you walk out of your house and you experience the culture of that town the moment you step foot out of your home and there's no place i grew up on the east coast outside of new york and there's no place that i've ever been that's like that mm-hmm. what drew you there uh, my partner lives there okay. so yeah oh that's easy yeah. damn it <laughs> wish my boy i need to find a partner that lives there <laughs> <laughs> well now we know adam and we have another friend there so yeah we might <laughs> we might be all hey. i know a lot of single people <laughs> down there so <laughs> I, I, it's much cheaper than the Bay. I mean, yeah, if you're looking no for a place to, to move to, great place. I think I would be like 500 pounds if I lived there, though. No. I mean, just well, you'll sweat it crawfish off. Crawfish bread every day. Have you had crawfish bread uh, yet? Yeah, of course. I mean, you like, make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the best thing I've ever eaten ever. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was delicious. Yeah. yeah. It, there's a and there's a vibrant film scene down there. Yeah, right? I mean, much more so than Colorado. I'll tell you that. Spreading is spreading from Atlanta. Yeah. Well, the truth is, is it went from New Orleans to uh, everybody down there has told me this. It went oh, okay. from New Orleans to Atlanta, and now it's coming back to right. New Orleans. Oh, okay. Yeah, and because in everywhere except for California and New York, the film industry is entirely based upon these incentive programs that the yes tax incentives tax. Mm-hmm. And so um, under Bobby Jindal, the tax incentive went away, and now under the Democratic governor john edwards it's back mm. um so th- people coming are coming back. back there's like five tv shows in production all the time and usually one or two uh hollywood films not my part of the film industry by the way <laughs> 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 well um well that leads me to ask you where where do you want to see this film go yeah i mean you know i think as many places as possible obviously mm-hmm. and this is the First screening in the United States here in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, congratulations! <coughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's the U.S. premiere. It will play in Chicago next week. Um, but you know, t- I've had a hard time with uh, getting the film out there because I think mm. because people don't want to confront this issue, and um, also I've been hearing over and over again that people seem to feel as though at least programmers, curators, feel as though. Um, that the general audience can't go with this nonlinear structure, which I totally don't believe at all. Yeah, and I that's think, bullshit. come on, yeah, <laughs> that's so bullshit. <coughs> I think it's selling out their audience. You know, it's sort of like people don't curators in particular, and I was one for many years. Um, don't give their audience enough credit right. to go exactly. along. Like, oh, well, that's not what we normally do. That's exactly why you should do it. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's the film industry in general. Yeah, I mean that it's true. I, I mean hate to say that, but it is. Yeah. I mean look at anyways. Look at summer programming of films. Give me a break. Anyways. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we're we're in blockbuster territory. Yeah. Supposedly right. Tent now. poles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just call it Fast and Furious Nine or yeah. something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, call your film that. <laughs> yeah. Just have people come in and watch yeah. it. Um, I want to thank you for being on Bitch Talk, and I also want to thank you for this film. And we actually have a festival that you might want to check into. We'll talk about it offline. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll see you in the French Quarter. Yeah, you will. <laughs> yes. That was 
Adam Sekuler of Tomorrow Never Knows. Thanks so much for joining us, Adam. We really appreciate having you on. His film was a part of SF Doc Fest over the weekend in San Francisco. If you want to find out more about Bitch Talk, you can go to bitchtalkpodcast.com. All of our socials are on that landing page. You know, find us everywhere. iTunes, Google Play, Player FM. Did you know we're on there, Shar? Wherever you find podcasts, we're kind of We're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, please listen, rate, comment, send us an email, whatever you want to do, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bitch, please.